Do you wonder how the ancient truth of the Bible intersects with today's news? Do you believe in God's promises to the people and the land of Israel? Welcome to the Lone Star Podcast, a weekly conversation to expand your mind and encourage your soul. Our hosts live in the two Lone Star states, Rabbi Dove Lippman in Israel and Pastor Trey Graham in Texas. This podcast is your opportunity to learn the truth about the God of Israel from two people who love Israel. Please follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new weekly episodes are ready. You ready to be encouraged? Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham. Welcome to this edition of the Lone Star Podcast. This is Pastor Trey Graham and my friend Rabbi Dove Lipman. Hello, my friend. How are you? Hi, Pastor. Great to be with you, and we're looking forward to your arrival in Israel. Yes, I will be there soon, and I look forward to seeing you again in person. And we want to talk on this week's podcast about this week's Torah portion. You're out and about traveling around the land, and we can we can hear the traffic and the people behind you, and we're going to talk about the Torah portion as we go along. This week's Torah portion has the title Shmini, which means eighth, like the number eight, because this is the eighth day of purification for the Mishkan, the tabernacle. We are back to the book of Leviticus. We took a two-week break there to focus on Passover, so we're back to walking through the first five books of Moses. We're covering chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Leviticus. And for our listeners, remind us, Rabbi, Leviticus has to do with the Levites. The Levites are the priests, and they come from the uh, family line of Aaron. Remind us about the whole theme of Leviticus. So uh, just to remember, <laughs> Jacob had 12 sons, and the third son is the son named Levi, and his family was designated to be the ones who would be the spiritual leaders of the people. They were to be the spiritual leaders, they were to offer the sacrifices, and even within the tribe of Levi, there was a distinction that was made, and that distinction is you have those that are descendants directly from Aaron. Moses was a Levite, and his brother Aaron was given the distinction that his descendants would be the priests in the temple. So you had Levites serving in the temple. <laughs> they had various roles, including they were sort of the security at the door. They played music. They sang. You had that element. And then you also, in addition to that, you had the priests who are working in the temple. And the book of Leviticus is primarily all about the rules related to them. How do they worship in the tabernacle? What are they required to do? Uh, how do what do they do when the sacrifices are brought? And, and it's critical, as we'll talk about something that happens later in the portion, the rules are very, very specific. They're very precise. And even if we don't understand all of them, and we don't, uh, they are meant to be followed and, and, and followed very, very carefully. That's the book of Leviticus. The first verse of Leviticus 9, it says, It came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And that's where the title Shemini comes from, the eighth day. And what the Lord says to Moses and he says to Aaron is to take all of these different kinds of offerings, a calf, a bull, all of these things, and all of your offerings have to be without defect, have to be the best you can give to the Lord. And then, as you say, we get very specific instructions on how the people were to bring their offerings to the priests, and the priests would take them to the altar. 
please remind our listeners, Rabbi, that the people themselves didn't slaughter the animals. They didn't go to the altar. They handed them off to the priests who were the intermediary between the people and the Lord. That's correct. The laws are very, very specific about who can go where in the temple. There are rules about who can stand in which places. And, you know, I think it's important for us to emphasize that in today's world where everything has to be PC and everything has to be, quote-unquote, equality. The people back then didn't see it as a lack of equality. There were just different rules. There was a hierarchy, and that was okay. It didn't mean that anybody was better than anyone else. It was just, this is the way the Lord set it up. There were people who purified themselves for this service, and they were the ones uh, who were expected to carry it out. And what's amazing is, uh, Pastor, you mentioned some of the offerings. There's a very specific emphasis placed on the offering of the calf. Uh, those of you who have been following our podcast and following the weekly portion know that towards the end of the book of Exodus, we have the sin of the golden calf. And we together discussed Aaron's role in that sin. And here, lo and behold, on this most important day, the Lord gives Aaron a chance for redemption. He gives him a chance for atonement. And he says, I want you to atone for the sin that you were involved with. I want you to offer a calf. And that's a deliberate association which is supposed to be made. And it's supposed to be Aaron. It's not the people. The people sinned. But who was the leader? And the leader has to take responsibility for what he did. And that's Aaron. And throughout all the service in the temple, it was the people bringing it to the priests. And it was their job to actually bring and, uh, and, and take care of all the details of the sacrifices in the temple. I think one of the most important verses in the whole portion is Leviticus 9, verse 6. Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. There is a requirement for humility. There's a requirement for sacrifice to get into the presence of the Lord. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, and that's why we who follow after Jesus believe he died on the cross for us. But this verse says that because of the sacrificial system, verse 6, the glory of the Lord may appear to you. That's what we all want, and God is opening the door to his presence. And that was the purpose of the tabernacle. The purpose of the tabernacle was to enable the people to truly experience God's presence in their lives. It didn't have to be limited to the tabernacle. And the idea would be that we would draw it to our own homes, draw it to the rest of our lives, and bring God's presence with us everywhere. But he makes himself available. We just have to take the steps necessary to enable us to feel that. And the word sacrifice is very deliberate. It requires sacrifice. It requires giving up of ourselves. If we just want to do everything that we want to do, then we're shutting that door. God cannot come into our lives. But the moment we're willing to sacrifice and we're willing to subjugate ourselves and we're willing to say that this is about a greater calling and not just about what we personally want, that's the moment that God's presence can enter into our lives. And when we get to the end of chapter 9 of Leviticus, verse 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. There is a sense of community worship, a sense of individual worship. There's a sense of the leaders going to God on our behalf. 
And God made a promise. If you will come to me with humility, if you will come to me giving your best, I will show up to you. I will have relationship with you. And here we see in verse 23, God fulfilling his promise. The Lord appeared not to the priests. The Lord appeared to all the people. And that's the critical point, because when we talk about the intermediaries, when we talk about the priests, we can make a very big mistake and say, oh, so they're the spiritual ones. They're the ones who are the people of God. And the opposite is the message. Yes, we have to make use of them. Yes, they fulfill a role. But the purpose of their role and the purpose of their doing the service is to bring God to all of the people. We, when we say hierarchy, we mean hierarchy in terms of responsibilities. We don't mean hierarchy in terms of who can connect spiritually to God. So that ends Leviticus chapter 9, moving us into Leviticus chapter 10. And a very disturbing passage, Rabbi. It says in verse 1 of chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. So these are the people who are supposed to be the priests, who are supposed to follow the instructions of the Lord in terms of carrying out the sacrifices. It says these two men took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire or unauthorized fire, or foreign fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So they disobeyed these specific instructions, and we're not really certain, I don't think, that they did it because of of laziness or carelessness, or maybe they were trying to somehow improve on God's system. We're not sure of the motivation, but the actions are clear. They did not do as the Lord had instructed them. And guess what? There's a consequence. Verse 2, fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Talk about, first of all, their actions, and then the consequence of their actions. I'm so happy, Pastor, that you framed that question by saying we don't exactly know what they did. The, the Bible is very unclear. It almost leaves it up to everyone to either give their own interpretation or have no idea uh, what to say. But one thing is clear. It was not a rejection of God. They were trying to get close to God. They were trying to serve God. They brought a foreign fire. They didn't follow the rules, but it was in the service of God. And here we learn a critical point. Even when a person is trying to get close to God, uh, it's not for us to make up and try to do that. It's for us to listen to what God tells us. God was so specific in terms of how they should worship him, and they didn't follow those rules. Whether they added something, they did something on their own, uh, whether it was just their own ego, we know better. And immediately, without question, there was a consequence. They didn't even have a chance to explain themselves. It's almost as if God wanted to show from the very beginning uh, that, yes, in general, he's a compassionate God. I mean, I know he's a compassionate God, and is for atonement. But if this is allowed to pass, and on the very day that they're given the commands, I told precisely what to do. People already lapse into human nature and do their own thing. There has to be an immediate consequence for people to learn from. And it's very harsh. Aaron lost two of his sons. I mean, you can't imagine a, a greater punishment, a greater consequence. But the idea was to implant inside of the people the entire concept of submission and of obedience and of putting aside our ego and doing what God has told us to do. And I have to tell you, Pastor, every single year as we read it, it's a question in my mind. I don't understand. We 
we don't understand the ways of God. That's also part of the message. But we accept it. And the answer of Aaron, where it just says, uh, right after they're killed, and Aaron was silent. Vayidom Aaron is the Hebrew. That is extremely powerful. He didn't start whining to God. He didn't start complaining. He accepted it. He might have been bothered by it. Uh, he might have been very troubled by it, but he accepted that this is what God had decreed and what God uh, had, had, had decided to be that consequence. And this is something for very difficult for people of faith uh, to see, you know, what, what seems to have been good-minded people. Okay, they feared a little bit this way or that way. Such a heavy consequence, seeing God's uh, heavy hand, the, the, the justice side. It's very difficult for us, but as, as difficult as it might be, I think it has to remind us of the significance of what we're dealing with when we're talking about spirituality and service of God, I recognize that God does have compassion, but there also is justice. And as far as I understand, the Christian faith sees that duality in the both sides of God as well. We do see the righteous judge and the loving father, both of the natures of God. And when we talk about the severe consequence of these two people coming to the Lord's holy place, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and taking their own route, picking their own method of sacrifice, when God judged them so severely by having them killed on that very day, some people read the scriptures and they say, that's mean or that's harsh or that's too cruel. Why would the Lord allow that to happen? I think there might be a couple of reasons why the Lord was so severe in his punishment here. First of all, it is not our right, as we've already said, to make up our own ways to come to the Lord. He establishes truth. He establishes righteousness. And once we try to modify the words of God or the commands of God, we are making ourselves equal with God or the boss of the Lord, which we are obviously not. He is creator. We are creation. So the first reason the punishment was so harsh was to remind us that we're not equal before the Lord with the Lord. We are equal amongst other people, but not with our God. Another reason is this shows the responsibility of leaders. And Rabbi, this is a scary thought for you and I who are spiritual leaders and Bible teachers, that there is an extra level of responsibility, an extra level of requirement to be holy before the Lord because we are encouraging other people and teaching other people how to meet the Lord. So this was so severe because if the leaders get off in their spiritual walk, if the leaders are allowed to live a life of sinfulness, then the people will follow. And I think another reason is this was so early. We mentioned this is the eighth day. This is right after the seven days of priestly consecration for Aaron and his family. This is the starting point of the Jewish people's worship of the Lord in the holy place called the tabernacle. If the Lord allows them to get off track at the beginning, they may never get back on track with worship. And that's why we see such harsh consequences, or my understandings of why, and I'd like your reaction to those thoughts. I definitely uh, agree. We definitely see throughout the Bible uh, being held to a high standard. And uh, I thought I, the, the critical piece is, I think, the last part that you said, which is, it was the very beginning. Uh, this is where it all started. The foundation has to be strong. Later on, we will see God uh, giving people space, uh, almost understanding that human beings are prone to fail and giving them a path towards uh, redemption and towards atonement. 
but at this critical stage, when you're building the foundation, uh, it has to be without flaws. And I think that's really uh, ultimately what's happening over there. And I'm sure it shook the people to the core and it had the desired effect to make sure that down the road, people wouldn't stray in this way. We come right after that when the sons of Aaron are killed and then their own relatives, their own cousins have to remove their bodies. We get to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 8, and we see the Lord then spoke to Aaron. And the commentators tell us this is the only time the Lord spoke directly to Aaron in Leviticus and not through Moses, his brother, the intermediary. And I believe when the Lord now says in verse 9, do not drink wine or strong drink, neither new, neither you nor your sons with you when you come into the tent of meeting so that you may not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, between the unclean and the clean, and so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. What I see here are two things. One, the Lord now shows grace and mercy and comfort and speaks directly to Aaron. And also, when he speaks to Aaron, he reminds him of the importance of holiness, the importance of following the commands. God doesn't let Aaron go off the path of righteousness like his sons did. So the Lord, who is the righteous king and judge, is also our loving heavenly father, and he comes to try to comfort Aaron in this time of grief. What, a, what, a, what an incredible, incredible moment where, like you said, we're struck suddenly with this, uh, the killing of his sons, and it almost takes us out of nowhere. Aaron is silent. He has nothing to say. We're awestruck by the fact that this has happened, and God then, so to speak, breaks his rules and speaks to Aaron directly and shows Aaron his comfort and shows Aaron his love, along with some instructions for the future. But what a moment where God, on the one hand, had to act with strict justice, uh, but reaches out with love. There's no idea of perpetual punishment, of here to enact retribution. It's all with the goal of reconstructing the new and moving forward. And, and we see that in this incredible moment of love from God, where he reaches out to Aaron immediately, he gives him that embrace, and I don't have a doubt that gave Aaron the capacity uh, to move on after this tragic loss. But what is troubling is you continue on in Leviticus chapter 10, and you get to verse 16. It says, Moses searched carefully for the goat of the sin offering, and behold, it had been burned up. So he was angry with Aaron's surviving sons, Eleazar and Itamar. So... What happened there? Did the other sons of Aaron not learn the lesson? Did they start to do improper offerings just after their brothers had been killed for doing so? There seems to have been a tremendous amount of confusion, uh, of, of fear, and, and, and as you see, God did not strike them down as well, but there was a process of confronting what was done wrong. I, I almost feel like it was almost from heaven that a mistake was made so soon later and we were able to see God's compassion as they worked through it and try to correct it, and then realizing, okay, we're not going to be struck down and killed every time there's a mistake that's made. Uh, you have to imagine the human emotions that were involved at that moment um, after losing their brothers and losing their family members and people being confused and, and, and perhaps overly cautious, perhaps 
and not wanting to get too close to this holiness. And here again, God gives them the space and says, no, I want you to be close. I want you to be connected to the holy. We just have to make sure that you do it with a sound mind and following exactly what I've commanded you to do. So it sort of gives you that uh, comparison or contrast uh, to what happened in the beginning of the story. Then we move into the last chapter of this week's Torah portion called Shmini, and we get to Leviticus chapter 11, and this is the basis for what we call kosher or kashrut in Hebrew, the Lord's directions on which foods are ceremonially clean and unclean, which are right to eat and not eat. And of course, the pastor would never tell the rabbi how to explain kosher, but I want to ask you. It seems to me there are two reasons behind the Lord's instructions. One is more medical or health reasons. These are clean. These are better for you. They're more healthy for you. But also, more spiritual answer, this distinguishes my people. Those who eat certain things and refrain from eating certain things show a commitment to me and following my commands. So, Rabbi, is it true there's health and medical reasons, but also spiritual reasons behind kosher? There are some commentaries who definitely talk about uh, a physical element. They talk about it being uh, health-based, and somehow these animals are healthier. That is rejected by many other commentaries, because they ask, if that was true, then why wouldn't this be required of all people, Jew and not Jew alike? I mean, we care about the well-being of all, and all are God's creatures. And therefore, many of the later commentaries focus much more on the second dimension that we mentioned, Pastor, which is, first and foremost, a defining uh, feature, you know, that people are, 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 are we, everywhere we travel, uh, we are on the lookout for kosher food, we go to an airport, we can't just go to any restaurant and take whatever food is there, we have to bring our food with us, we go to a ball game, uh, we're bringing food with us, uh, I traveled to Africa, and I couldn't uh, get any kosher food there, and I have to have food for a week with me. So it's a part of your day-to-day life, you know, three times a day when you're having meals, when you're looking for snacks, you're, you're being obedient uh, to the Word of God. And that's definitely one element to it. And then it goes to an even deeper dimension, where some of the commentaries say the animals that are kosher versus the animals that are not kosher, there's actually a spiritual dimension. There's some kind of impurity in the animal's that are unkosher, and there's some kind of a purity involved in animals that are kosher. And they try to say that um, we're elevated, inherently elevated, by the food that we eat and not brought down by the food that we're not eating. Uh, so there's many different explanations regarding it. I can tell you, though, that, boy, does it encompass your life. It's something which you're thinking about all the time. It's something which you're planning for uh, all the time. And it certainly makes a huge difference in the day-to-day life perhaps more than anything else in terms of our ritual practice. And the last question I have for you on this subject of kosher is, how do you teach that to your children? How do you teach them that this is a commitment to the Lord? We're not having certain foods that other kids might eat because God said so. The first thing is definitely by example. If the children see uh, you keeping to the laws, you're not complaining about it, but you embrace it. That's part one. But it's also part of a much broader system. It's not as if all of a sudden, when it comes to the eating, they have restrictions. Our our entire lives are consumed by uh, ritual practice, prayers, blessings, Sabbath observance, holidays, clothing that we wear, 
how we act. So it's, it's all part of a broader system, and they're able to see it uh, as such. Uh, are there times when they wish they could have certain foods? 100%. And we are open about it. We say we wish we could as well. But it's mostly by example, and it's mostly by them seeing the beauty and the wisdom in the overall system uh, and not focusing specifically on this specific law or that. Rabbi, as we come to the end of today's podcast, Leviticus chapters 9, 10, and 11, wrap up for us the lessons. We've covered a lot of different subjects on the topics today. Wrap it up for us. I I think the one word is holiness, and then the question is, how does one achieve uh, holiness? Um, Do we achieve holiness by uh, through our own means? We have our idea how to achieve holiness, or do we follow the source of holiness, and that's God? So if God tells us this is the way the sacrifice is supposed to be offered and we'll achieve holiness, then follow that. If you don't, there's consequences for that. If God tells us that this is what we have to eat in order to be chosen, holy, uh, his uh, messenger, so to speak, spiritually in the world, then that's what we have to follow. Even though we might not be able to make sense out of all of it, it's all part of an overarching system. And the most important lesson which we continue to hammer together all the time is the details and following the word of the Lord and not assuming that we somehow uh, understand what's best. We have enjoyed discussing podcast with the topic of Shmini, uh, Leviticus chapters 9, 10, and 11, and we do want to be holy before the Lord. We want to follow the Lord's commands even when we don't understand them simply because we trust Him. Rabbi, thank you for always sharing the word of the Lord with me, and Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Lone Star Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Lone Star Podcast to learn when new episodes are ready. Please join Rabbi Dove Lipman and Pastor Trey Graham next time to expand your mind and encourage your soul. May the Lord bless you and draw you to himself this week.